0: the truth news network this is tnn the truth news network and we deal in facts here's one you might want to write this one down you can't comply your way to freedom that's how prisons work seeing the picture here's someone who can make it clearer his
1: name is dan newman Compliance is one thing. Getting along and getting the truth with which to comply and then having knowledge of what is not true so you don't comply with that. It's pretty simple when it comes right down to it. But you know what? We humans, we just make everything far tougher than it has to be. I think you'll agree with me. I mean, just look at, look at the world around us. Look what's going on in D.C. right now today. I mean, it's another chapter every day of this silly January 6th committee, which is little more than an opportunity for Democrats to have a national platform on which they can beg the American people to vote for them in the upcoming midterms. Don't think for a second. That's not what this committee hearings are all about. Because it has to do about one thing and one thing only. Everything Democrats do, it doesn't matter what it is. It's how to seize power, power from the American people, and use that power to increase their power and spread their control over all of us. Let me just tell you exactly what that is. And this will blow your mind because you've probably not thought about what I'm going to tell you. And this is going to change your your way of thinking. But before we go down that road, let me say thank you to the end of the week. Thank you for sharing it with us here at TNN Live. We love having you along with us. We love sharing our ideas with you. We love bringing you information and bringing you people that have more information than we may have. And we've got one of those gentlemen who's going to be on the show with us top of the second hour, Steve Baker. Steve Baker, you've heard that name before. Well, you've heard him here on TNN Live at least three times. Steve Baker was the photojournalist, probably the number one photojournalist on the ground that day, January 6, 2020. All the way up at the White House and then making the trek all the way down to the Capitol. And he videoed some of the key moments of what happened during that January sixth insurrection, if that's what you want to call it. Let's just call it a, uh, a protest that got out of hand. That's what the Democrats would call it. They don't think anything that they did burning down Minneapolis and Portland and Rochester, New York, those, those weren't riots. Those were peaceful protests, demonstrations. You know, we have the constitutional right for that. Well, Steve Baker was there in the middle of it, and there's one name... That keeps popping up around the January 6th questions. One name. One man. Do you know who I'm talking about? Ray Epps. Ray Epps. So, last night, Tucker Carlson did a segment on his show about Ray Epps. And it's very exhaustive. He asked questions. Tucker Carlson asked questions about Ray Epps. Steve Baker has some answers, and he's going to join us at the top of the 10 o'clock hour. But between now and then, what are we going to do? Just sit around and tell jokes? Absolutely not. we got many, many things that we can talk about. And let's just do this. Let's talk about the latest push by the left to legitimize all of the 2020 election processes. I don't know if you've seen it, but there's a special, and I'm not even sure which network is running it, but it's of two so-called Republican, very intellectual, and very well-qualified election attorneys who on their own conducted what they call an exhaustive investigation of the process of the 2020 election. And they're guaranteeing all of us Americans that there was absolutely no irregularities, No fraud in the election, and it's just what it is. The American people voted these results. Now, it's interesting, the little segment that I saw from these two gentlemen, they made it very clear when they made their statement, there was no cheating, no fraud, no voting irregularities in the election. They qualified that by doing what every Democrat does when they talk about, oh, there was no Oh, they didn't overturn anything in that election. It was all just as was portrayed. They didn't change anything Democrats did. They qualified themselves by saying, insufficient volume to change the overall results. Now, when you hear Democrats say that, it sounds benign. Well, there may have been a little bit, but you know, we have in every election... There's people that are fiddling with it, but this is of a, a group of 50 states, 50 states, and if one or two states had a little bit of irregularity, that's never going to be enough to change the results of the election. <laughs> I beg to differ with you. Listen to this. We're going to do something right now we don't normally do. I'm going to give you 21, 21 confirmed in court Illegalities from the 2020 election. 21. You ready? Number one. Illegal ballot drop boxes. Hmm. The Wisconsin Supreme Court ruled earlier this month 570 drop boxes used during the 2020 election were unlawfully approved by the Wisconsin Election Commission. Only the legislature may permit absentee voting via ballot drop boxes. That's from the court. The Election Commission can't do that. Ballot drop boxes appear nowhere in the detailed statutory system for absentee voting in Wisconsin. Their election committee authorization of ballot drop boxes was unlawful. That's the judge. And remember this, in Wisconsin, Joe Biden... Donald Trump, the final vote tallies. What was Joe Biden's winning margin in Wisconsin? Less than 21,000 votes difference. Number two, a foreign intrusion. Federal authorities have confirmed that two Iranian nationals successfully hacked into a state computer election system. They stole 100,000 voter registrations and used the data to carry out a cyber intimidation campaign that targeted Republican members of Congress, Trump campaign officials, and Democrat voters in the November 2020 election in one of the largest foreign intrusions in U.S. election history. The defendants in the case were part of a coordinated conspiracy in which Iranian hackers sought to undermine faith and confidence in the U.S. election. That comes from U.S. Attorney Damian Williams in an indictment. Number three of 21, the laptop lie. More than 50 national security experts, countless news organizations, and large social media firms falsely told American voters in the fall of 2020 that the Hunter Biden laptop, with damning revelations about Biden family corruption, was Russian. Disinformation. Russia, Russia, Russia. In fact, it was a legitimate laptop, already in the FBI's possession. Hunter was already under criminal investigation before voters cast their 2020 ballots. That false narrative had significant impact. Polling shows a majority of American voters believe the pre-election censorship of the story amounted to election interference. Number four, alleged bribery. The former state supreme court justice appointed by Wisconsin to investigate the 2020 elections concluded that millions of dollars in donations to election administrators in five democrat heavy municipalities from the Zucker fund Zuckerberg funded the Center for Tech and Civic Life and that violated state anti-bribery laws corrupted election practices how by turning public election authorities into liberal, get-out-the-vote activists. The Zuckerberg-funded CTCL, Zuckerberg 5 scheme is what it's called, would prove to be an effective way to accomplish the partisan effort to turn out their desired voters, and it was done with the active support of the very people and the governmental institution that were supposed to be guarding Wisconsin elections and that administrative process from any partisan activities they facilitated. That's from the Wisconsin Supreme Court. Number five, illegal ballot harvesting in Wisconsin. Gableman, this justice, also exposed an extensive vote collection operation known as ballot harvesting. They did it in nursing homes in which third-party activists would illegally collect the ballots of those very vulnerable residents, some of whom even lacked mental or physical capacity to vote, or were forbidden from voting by guardianship agreements. State election regulators unlawfully directed the municipal clerks not to send out the legally required special voting deputies to those nursing homes resulting in many nursing homes registered residents voting at 100% rates and many ineligible residents voting, despite a guardianship order or their incapacity. Number six, ballot harvesting proved in Georgia. Oh my gosh, I thought we got that all figured out. There was no cheating in Georgia, right? With Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger, he's been in the Middle of this, even from the day of the election in 2020, he announced he's opened a criminal investigation into allegations that liberal activists engaged in illegal ballot harvesting, collecting ballots from voters, delivering them in violation of state law. There's no illegal action that took place in 2020. There's just one little example. The secretary of state said he is planning to issue subpoenas to identify a whistleblower who admitted he engaged in the operation, and there are probable prosecutions. He says, "The True the Vote Election Integrity Group says in a formal state complaint that the man identified as John Doe admitted his role, identified nonprofits who funded it at ten bucks per ballot delivered." The watchdog group also claims it has assembled cell phone location records that pinpoint the alleged harvesting by as many as 240 activists. Bad voter signatures. One review of Maricopa County's mail-in ballots, that's Phoenix, estimated that more than 200,000 ballots with signatures that did not match voter files were counted without being reviewed, more than eight times the number the county acknowledged. 50,000 Arizona ballots are called into question. This came from an audit by Arizona Senate, officially called into question more than 50,000 ballots cast in the 2020 election, including voters who cast ballots from residences they had left. Many moved out of state. The tally in question is nearly five times the margin of Joe Biden's victory. In Arizona, foreign votes found on Texas voter rolls. An audit again, audit of Texas voter rolls identified 12,000 non citizens suspected of illegally registering to vote and nearly 600 cases in which ballots may have been cast in the name of a dead person or by a voter who may also have voted somewhere else. Officials are now in the process of removing the foreign voters and deciding whether prosecutions are warranted. In Georgia, foreign voters found on the rolls there. An audit by the Secretary of State identified more than 2,000 foreigners who tried to register to vote in the state, though none reached the point of casting ballots. Prosecutions are pending. More non-citizen voters the Gableman investigation up in Wisconsin. They also found non-citizens and made it onto state voter rolls in violation of state law, of course. The Wisconsin Election Commission failed to record non-citizens in the WisVote Voter Database, WISVote, short for Wisconsin, database, thereby permitting non-citizens to vote, even though Wisconsin law requires citizenship to vote all in violation of the Help America Vote Act. And we're up to number 12 of 21 cheating, fraudulent things that were caught in the 2020 election. Number 12, election machine vulnerabilities. Right after the November 2020 election, the U.S. Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency declared there was no hacking, there was no machine vulnerabilities. The Iran- hacking case put the light of the first claim and last month homeland security admitted in a new report the popular dominion democracy sweet image cast 10 voting system had nine vulnerabilities most of which include the ability to install malicious code on the machines from elsewhere overseas online Federal officials say they don't know if any efforts to exploit those vulnerabilities in 2020, but the reversal in stories has significantly shaken the confidence in the bureaucracy's assurances. And in the wake of that, Louisiana, our amazing Republican Secretary of State, Kyle Ardwin, he signed a contract and all of our voting machines going forward are now Dominion. Isn't that exciting? Ballot chain of custody issues. In Georgia's S- Secretary of State's office opened an investigation into the handling of drop box ballots last November in one of the state's Democratic strongholds following a media report that there were problems with chain of custody documentation in DeKalb County. Fulton County irregularities. Fulton is Atlanta. Georgia's hand-picked election monitor for Fulton County, state's largest voting district, documented two dozen pages of mismanagement and irregularities during vote counting in Atlanta in November of 2020. That included double scanning of ballots, insecure transport of ballots, violations of voter privacy. These revelations prompted the state to take steps to possibly put Fulton County in receivership, empowering the state to run the elections. Fulton County's election officials, most of them, have quit their jobs. Errant Vote Counting, also in Georgia. Governor Brian Kemp referred the audited November 2020 election results in Fulton County to the State Election Board after multiple reviews found three dozen significant problems with absentee ballot counting. That included duplicate tallies, math errors, transposed data. Kemp's referral calls into question hundreds of ballots that were included in the official count. Dirty voter rolls. Michigan's official state auditor has found that Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson uh, forgot to adhere to state election law by properly updating and reconciling Michigan's qualified voter roll. This oversight, according to the audit, increased the risk of ineligible voters casting ballots. They are now purging the voter rolls in Michigan, supposedly just before the midterms, and it is expected to reduce the total number of voters in Michigan that are legally voting by over one million. Illegal exemptions from voter ID. The Wisconsin Supreme Court ruled as many as 200,000 voters were allowed to illegally skip voter ID for absentee ballots. They did it by claiming they were indefinitely confined by COVID when there was no such legal authority to do that. Almost a quarter of a million of those voted. Biden beat Trump by about 20,000 votes in Wisconsin uneven enforcement of election laws. The Wisconsin Legislative Audit Bureau identified more than 30 problems with the administration of elections across the states in 2020, including unlawful orders, uneven enforcement of the law, and urged lawmakers to make sweeping improvements before the midterms. More illegal ballot harvesting. In Arizona, a half-dozen people have already been indicted on charges of illegal harvesting and approved by Attorney General Mark Branovich that shows signs of expanding. It comes after the U.S. Supreme Court rejected Democrats' arguments and concluded Arizona's ban on harvesting is constitutional. Voter fraud in Michigan. Michigan charged three women, three women in connection with voter fraud schemes, including efforts to cast ballots on behalf of non-consenting nursing home residents. And still more, nursing home fraud, this time back to Wisconsin. Racine County Sheriff Christopher Schmalling announced his investigators have secured evidence that eight of 42 residents at one local nursing home had been recorded as casting absentee ballots that their families said was not even possible because the residents didn't have the cognitive ability to vote. Kind of like President Biden. That's just 21 examples. 21. And let's go back. If you saw the movie, the documentary, 2,000 Mules, if you haven't seen it, if you love America... If you want the voting system in America to be free and fair and legal, you've got to see the movie, the documentary, 2,000 Mules. Talk about evidence. They say over and over and over again, there's no evidence of cheating in the 2020 election. Look, it's too late to go back and undo what happened. I don't think anyone now thinks that's even a possible thing to do, an outcome. But let me tell you what better be going on in states around the United States, and it better be happening in Baton Rouge in my state. i got to be honest with you. My Secretary of State, the guy that just on his own, he got the state legislature to give him the sole authority to negotiate and cut a contract deal with Dominion Voting Systems. And he did just that. Kyle Ardwin. Three times We have called and invited him to come on the show and to tell us about the reasoning for changing from the old system to this system and exactly what's entailed. One of the questions I will ask him, if he ever agrees to come on the show, is Mr. Secretary of State, Mr. Secretary... In the new Dominion voting systems in the United States, will any voting machine in the state be connected to the Internet? And what kind of security and controls do the people of Louisiana have to have unfettered assurance that no vote of any voter in the state of Louisiana will be changed or manipulated and that no Illegal votes will be cast. Tell us what the security is that you were so justified that you pulled the trigger with no input, pretty much no input from anyone else in the government, including Governor John Bell Edwards, who, by the way, is a hardcore leftist Democrat. Do I sound a little ramped up this morning? Yeah, I am. Let me tell you, I am sick and tired of this voter stuff. I am sick and tired of the January 6th stuff. I just want everything in the United States to be done legally and fair, constitutionally, and adhered to And anybody and everybody that doesn't adhere to the rules pays the price, whatever the price is, for not doing that. I'm a little bit animated today. It's Friday. I have the right. Oh my gosh. Do you know, do, I, we live in, in pretty much what we think is a fishbowl where everybody around the world has unfettered access to look and watch and know what's going on around the United States. And I got to be honest with you. They pretty much do have a good look at us because everybody, every news agency on the planet, when they're doing their national news somewhere mixed into it, there'll be an international segment and they talk about our government and what's going on in here more than you probably think. But have you noticed of late on our national news media, we're not getting much about what's going on around the world. I mean, they'll throw in a little bit here and there. But our media doesn't want us, you to know about the massive protests that are going on all around the globe. I'm talking about massive protests. If you skim the front pages of the uh, Major corporate news outlets. You know the ones I'm talking about. You'll find no mention of economic protests that are raging in Spain and Morocco and Greece and all across the United Kingdom. On the Washington Post homepage these days, you'll see headlines like, How to Deal with a Chatty Coworker Who Won't Get Out of Your Office. But you're not going to find any mention of the more than 100,000 people protesting at the same time, in Madrid, Spain. You'll find the story of a gay union entitled, What's Two Yentus Plus One Senator? A Lifetime Together. That's at the New York Times. But you won't see a single heading on the more than 10,000 protesters in Athens, Greece. Corporate media, they have pretty much glossed over the tens of thousands of farmers in the Netherlands. We brought you this story the other day. They clogged up, these farmers did, roadways, distribution centers by holding Canadian trucker convoy-style demonstrations and they're protesting radical climate policies in the Netherlands. According to the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace, which records protests worldwide, Right now, today, 11 countries are currently seeing protests to more than a thousand people in response to the rising cost of living there and other economic woes this year. As of July 5th, Carnegie had recorded protests to more than 120,000 people in France, 100,000 in Spain, 10,000 in Greece, 10,000 in Kazakhstan, 10,000 in Sri Lanka, 10,000 in India, 5,000 in Iran. 5,000 in Peru, 1,000 people in Argentina, 1,000 in Morocco, and 1,000 in the U.K. Many of these French protesters, they went to the streets on May Day. They were after salary increases and against President Emmanuel Macron's increase of the retirement age. 54 people were arrested in Paris after some demonstrations turned violent. France's economy, Europe's third largest, shrank in the first quarter this year. And in June, inflation shot up 5.8%. You're lucky, aren't you, in France? Yours was only 5.8%. Protesters also held demonstrations in March, some complaining they had lost 15 to 20% of their purchasing power. Inflation. Meanwhile, France's answer to inflation? Keep spending the country is throwing 20.4 billion dollars at the problem 24 billion that's all i mean over here joe's after another 2 trillion today more about that in a few minutes in spain with gas subsidies direct grants and an increase in the minimum wage there the socialist leaning government they've seen only rising inflation ratings at 10.2%. And the accompanying price hikes on everything are driving thousands onto the streets they're protesting. The country's finding out the hard way what a 40% reliance on renewables will do to the labor market. Finally, it looks like maybe here in the United States, Americans' eyes are opening up about this green energy stuff, renewable energy, everybody needs to drive an electric car, I'll stop in the middle of this story and I'll just give you an example. I, uh, for treatment of my back and I had surgery on Monday of this week, I told you about it. We did the show that day, but I, I was on the table after the show getting my back sliced open. <laughs> That's a story for another day. But I live in Shreveport, Louisiana. It's a Northwest corner of the state. The border to Texas is 15 miles from where our studio sits and I'm talking to you right now. I drive from Shreveport into Texas. I go around the southern side or close to the southern side of Dallas and I catch 35 and I go down through Austin. Uh, No, I don't go to Austin. Uh, Waco. Temple. And then I take a right on 190 and I go about four miles and I'm in I'm in uh, Colleen, Texas, right next to Fort Hood, the biggest military base the U.S. has. So from here to there, you you know the math, basically. And uh, I'm driving a car right now that I can almost do a round trip on one tank of gas. I did the math the other day in a Chevy Volt, fully electric Chevy Volt. To do that trip, round trip, going down, I would have to stop Twice, plug my car up and refuel with enough to go further twice and you're talking about an hour and a half each time I charge so three extra hours to go to clean and the same thing coming home think about that that's supposed to be good in any possible way just saying We just need to make make sure that these people that have or are getting power to make all of these stupid decisions they're making that they really have it. I have right now a text into Congressman Mike Johnson, and I asked him point blank. You're going to hear from him in a hearing yesterday, and just a little bit on the show. Um, He jumped all over Steve Cohen, fellow. member of the House of Representatives on the House Judiciary Committee. It's a hotly contested little bit of uh, conversation they had. You don't want to miss it later on, but I've got a text in the mic to give us the skinny on does the President of the United States have the power to spend money? It doesn't go through Congress, no legislation, no approval by anybody He arbitrarily pulls it out, signs it, and we go spend billions of dollars on a whim, of this president. I don't even think he knows what a whim is when he has one. (laughs) But he's spending money left and right. So back to Spain. The country's finding out the hard way what a 40% reliance on renewable energy will do to the labor market. Electric cars, wind, solar. And by the way, just so you know this, yesterday it was announced, they have, scientists have discovered, in all solar panels, every single one of them, there is a massive amount of one particular element that is necessary to create these solar panels is non-renewable, and in fact, it itself is an environmental monster. They released that yesterday. <laughs> Back to Spain. Spain. I know, I get distracted, with Spain with its high unemployment rate, 13.65%. Wow, that's of the first quarter of this year. Labor shortages are raising prices on things like groceries to an almost 30-year high in Spain. Thousands of demonstrators protested for relief in the form of tax cuts. Meanwhile, no surprise... Any supply issues aggravated or initiated by Russia and their Ukraine war would burden Greece's weakened economy that only just got out of a decades-long crisis in 2018 to be sent right back by a COVID shutdown back in 2020, and they still can't get it put to bed. In April, thousands gathered at a labor union organized rally, and we're in Greece now outside the parliament, in protest of inflation, which followed a February demonstration where about 10,000 people showed up to protest electricity prices. And those prices had gone up 56%. Fuel prices that had jumped 22%. Natural gas skyrocketed 156% the first month of this year. Let's go a little further east, in India. India a country locked in a vicious cycle of going into debt to pay off interest of former debts, the increasing cost of living is racking the country. In March, an estimated 50 million workers participated in a two-day strike. They were protesting the loss of jobs and loss of income. Communist groups organizing rallies in May that are screaming about the high rate of inflation. Argentina, Argentina, We never hear anything about Argentina, one of the greatest nations in South America. The socialist government there that led the country to default seven times and produced the largest decline in the relative standard of living in the world since 1900, they're trying to do something new for a change. On Monday, Argentina's new economy um, minister, Silvina Batakis, announcing her plans to cut the fiscal deficit, deficit, a proposal more than 1,000 Argentinians are protesting. Decades of government spending faulty economic policies have led Argentina's inflation rate growing to 58%. Prices are liquid, and through the roof, iPhones, six months' rent to buy an iPhone, a two-hour plane ticket, equaling the cost of a month's college tuition, Batacca's plans to hold Argentina to the terms of a $44 billion debt deal it made earlier this year with the International Monetary Fund. Thousands of Argentines, meanwhile, flocked to protest against the economic hardships felt by everybody in the country upon cutting spending and took up banners crying for Argentina's separation from the International Monetary Fund. The United Kingdom is suffering from a high 9.1% inflation rate as of May. They're kind of up there where we are. Many are tired of the government's response or lack of. Brits flocked out in February protesting rising cost of living. Demonstrations held in at least 25 towns and cities. Signs reading, Tax the rich, freeze prices, not the poor. The UK's inflation rate was already at 5.4% in January of this year because, in part, the 2020 COVID shutdowns they had, but it has since almost doubled, largely because of the EU sanctions on Russian oil. In June, thousands marched down central London in protest, wanting the government to boost its welfare response. Steel, reeling from the worst drought it had in 40 years, The country of Morocco is seeing price spikes on even the most basic goods. Thousands of Moroccans joined protests in February to decry the increasing cost of living. Unions staging more demonstrations last month. The country has very high unemployment rates, large public debt, along with a heavy reliance on imports. Aside from a scant headline here and there, America's most popular news provider's like the Washington Post, the New York Times, CNN, NBC didn't cover any of these protests, despite the French and Spanish protests being 10 to 100 times larger than the protests these corporate media giants did report. None of these four major outlets wrote a single line on the protests of more than 100,000 demonstrators in Spain, more than 10,000 in Greece, more than a thousand in Morocco and more than a thousand in the UK. New York Times published one little article on the strike in India where an estimated 50 million people walked off the job one day. 50 million. And that's not newsworthy. Huh. The Washington Post has two little articles on the Argentinian protest to more than a thousand as inflation appears set to hit 70% in Argentina. It is reported once. Now, we're talking about the Washington Post. They reported once on the May Day protest in France, where more than 120,000 people protested government pension reforms. NBC mentioned the May Day protest once in one report. This is the entire 2022 coverage by America's media giants of these countries' protest over economic turmoil. Of these 11 countries, the ones we just listed, only four made any major headlines. The corporate media oftentimes only highlights these economic protests when they get so loud they can no longer be ignored. We saw that in Kazakhstan's kill order to quell protest and the Sri Lankans' attack on their own president's home. He resigned, thankfully. Yesterday. Over the weekend, the biased media finally began covering the Sri Lanka protest over 10,000 people strong. But they only did that because of footage demonstrators swarming the president's residence by the thousands on Saturday went viral. Corporate media won't even talk about the rest of these protests. Why? Because these countries are struggling from economically disastrous policies just. Like our president's policies. Any show of economic turmoil anywhere in the EU member states could be traced back to EU sanctions on Russia or green energy failures. Wait a minute, green energy failures? We're spending all this money and there are green energy failures somewhere? Why aren't they telling us about that? And they're demanding we spend even more on green energy stuff. The leftist media are going to tell you about Sri Lanka, about Kazakhstan, Iran, and Peru, but only to bolster their pro-Ukraine, anti-Russia narrative that denies the realities of war simply to promote Biden's efforts to empty our pockets and replenish Ukraine's pockets. In its treatment of the Kazakhstan protest, The Washington Post made sure to mention the country's relationship with Russia. The New York Times articles on the Sri Lanka protest framed the economic downturns and they framed them in terms of problems stemming from Russia's invasion. They ignored Sri Lanka's Green Deal ban on chemical fertilizer that ultimately crashed its economy. Both CNN's coverage of protests in Iran and NBC's reports of those in Peru likewise stressed Russia, Russia, as the cause for their economic turmoil. The media only highlight these world protests when they get too big to ignore or when the facts can be skewed toward They're preferring narratives. At this point, it's blame Russia for everything. And if it's not Russia we blame, it's China. Cherry-picking which protests to talk about. It gives the media cover to paint them as isolated incidents. They're not really real. This is just a one-time kind of thing, you know. After all, Biden is making the same blunders here. Corporate media can't have Americans connecting those dots. Our labor market today, it's undeniable, folks. It's in shambles. Inflation now skyrocketed to a 40-year high at 9.1%. The Biden administration is drawing down our emergency oil reserves, shipping it overseas to nations that can't function on their green energy policies anymore, Irony alert, the oil will go through a European pipeline, despite Biden citing climate cons- conservation to shut down our own Keystone pipeline. Discontent with these policy failures is triggering massive protest all around the world. Just don't Go looking to the Washington Post or the New York Times or CNN, MSNBC. There are none of them going to carry anything about it. We've got to carry the load for our president. Sleepy Joe. Uncle Joe. President Joe Biden. Real truth. Real news. TNN.
0: The Truth News Network. Grab an ice cold can of Celsius and stay active and energized all day. Celsius is better for you energy made with premium ingredients, zero sugar and seven essential vitamins with no high fructose corn syrup, no aspartame, no preservatives and no artificial colors or flavors. Celsius
2: is just the essential energy you need to keep you fueled and active all day. Celsius, essential energy. Live fit. Now find Celsius at Celsius.com or a retailer near you. We're outside Pilgrim Furniture and Mattress City where parents are disappearing! Excuse me, are your parents in there? Yeah, they can't
0: decide if they should take no interest for 60 months with no money down or an extra hundred dollars off every $9.99 they spend. It's a tough choice. But they've been in there for six hours! I want dinner.
2: Parents, if you're at Pilgrim, please make a decision. The I'm crazy hungry so she's gotta be too. Slide through the Mickey D's drive-thru to get a Big Mac. Right after I order her quarter pounder with cheese, because I don't know everything, but I do know when my girl's feeling, hangry Meal Get it at
3: McDonald's when you buy one of your faves, like the Big Mac, quarter pounder with cheese, 10-piece chicken McNuggets, or filet of fish and get another for just a dollar. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Prices and participation may vary. Valid on item of equal or lesser value.
0: New homeownership can be a real eye-opener, but it's the perfect time to look into Homeowner 101 from The Home Depot. Free live streaming workshops taught by expert associates now at homedepot.com/workshops. You'll find indoor and outdoor workshops, even home systems workshops. Plus you'll get the know-how you need to care for your biggest investment. Master the basics at Homeowner 101, only at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. Register now at homedepot.com/workshops.
1: Yeah, thank God, it's Friday. Oh my gosh, I love Fridays. They just talk about the weekend, and we still work here at TNN Live on the weekend. Don't forget, tomorrow we'll have our bullet point offerings. Boy, there's never been a week that I can remember in which more things happen during the week. It's impossible, if you have any kind of life, it's impossible to stay up with every big story, and you miss them We go grab them all, the biggest stories of each week. We put them in bullet point format, call it our Saturday bullet points offering, and we publish it. It goes live at 1.45 a.m. Central Time, Saturday morning. Make sure you catch it out. We had 1,400,000 readers last weekend of our bullet points. And it's simply because people just don't have time to stay caught up in like the story we just talked about. They hide. They hide important stories. We'll go grab them for you. You would think that everything outside the United States around the world is just (laughs) hunky-dory. It's not, I promise you. So let's talk about election. And by the way, if you weren't at the top of the show when we started, photojournalist Steve Baker is going to be with us in about 13 minutes. We're going to talk about some guy, a guy, got a name, who... His name keeps popping up and not in a good way about what happened that day on Capitol Hill. And Steve Baker, photojournalist that was there, you've heard him on with us I think three times on three shows. He was in the middle of it all giving us some real information, firsthand information that he got. And I haven't given him the complete details of what I want to ask him. So I'm going to ask him point blank, this guy. And I'm not going to give you his name right now, but I'm going to give Steve the name and get him, let him tell us about this, this guy and what he was into and uh, why nobody knows about that. We'll have Steve Baker in about 12 or 13 minutes, but uh, we got some elections on the way, pretty important ones. Let me give you the latest lay of the land. A July poll from Fox News has predicted the Republicans are going to win a massive majority in the House between 225 and 255 seats, real clear politics and 538 also forecast Republicans are going to take back the house. I think that's kind of, um, you know, everybody knows, everybody thinks or whatever, but it's not going to be a good thing, not going to be a good thing for the white house. President Biden is facing a disaster, especially among young voters Now, think about how stupid this is. Every generation grows up, and our political philosophies, in many cases, change. I've been a conservative since before I was born. I'm joking. My family were Democrats when Democrats were a good thing. But somewhere along the line in the 60s, in my late teens, I looked around and I said, you know, I don't know about this Democrat Party policy stuff. I don't think like them. And I didn't even know what Republicans were, but uh, I began to look at some people that were talking about being more conservative, especially with economy economy things, economic things. And so I realized all of a sudden one day, hey, you know what? You're really a conservative. Biden's facing a disaster with us young folks, increasing fears among Dems that they're in danger of losing a generation if he doesn't improve his standing with Generation Z. His approval rating has dropped across the board among Democrats, but the figures with people under 30 is cratering. A New York Times-CNN college poll this week found 94% of Democrat primary voters between 18 and 29 say the party should nominate somebody other than Joe in 2024. He's 79. He has never been the candidate for younger voters. Though they did rally to help him win the White House in 2020 as he endorsed some key progressive policy initiatives they like, you know, the Green New Deal, other climate change, and other issues. Now the polls say they could abandon him altogether amid frustration with the lack of progress in D.C. on everything, everything from climate change to abortion rights. A lot of the young people that I'm talking to in particular right now are asking what the point is of having a Democrat trifecta if our rights are still being ripped away. That's Ellen Cialis, Communication Director at the Youth Climate Activist Group at the Sunrise Movement. Like, what's the point of voting? And obviously, we're pushing people to vote, but it's going to make it so much harder for us to do our job, she said. Biden got high marks from young voters at the start of his presidency. But a Gallup poll released in April found that Biden's approval rating had dropped 21 points among Americans belonging to Generation Z. And Generation Z, just if you don't know it, it's those people born between 97 and 04, and 19 percentage points among millennials, those born between 1981 and 1996 between the start of his presidency and this past March. A big focus when it comes to Biden and young voters is the president's age. He'll be 81 at the beginning of a second term if he wins. 81. Yet Biden's job performance, not his age, is the dominant issue driving young dims to prefer someone different than Biden in 2024. That's according to the New York Times a College Poll. Young Democrats in the poll were the least likely to cite Biden's age as the main reason for wanting new blood. Young Democrats were least likely to cite Biden's age. I think it's about issues rather than age, said Democrat strategist Eddie Vail. He and other Dems note that Senators Bernie Sanders from Vermont and Elizabeth Warren of Massachusetts, two progressives, were popular in 2020 with many young Democratic voters. Well, I'll tell you why. They're Democrats. (laughs) Come on now. They'll swallow a pill of any kind. You just give it to them. It doesn't matter. Remember when loving the late Senator Robert Byrd when he opposed the war was real hot? Bernie, obviously, isn't a spring chicken. But young people are dealing with the same overall economic issues that everybody else is, but are worse for them because they don't have savings, they don't own a home, they have no career stability yet. Vale and others argue that Biden could improve his standing among these young Americans. How? Taking more tangible steps to protect access to abortion following the Supreme Court's decision to overturn Roe v. Wade. Biden announced an executive order last week. Here we go, EO's executive orders. I hate them, I hate them. This one was designed to protect access to abortion medication, contraception, and emergency care, and to shield women who travel out of state for an abortion from lawsuits. Ashley Alward, a research manager at the public opinion firm Hit Strategies, she said she conducted a focus group last week And that was before Biden's executive order, during which young Democrat voters said they were looking for more tangible action on abortion. They're really just searching for reasons to feel some relief that people in power are actually fighting for them, she said. In general, she observed that young Democrats are seeking more diversity in their representatives in government. Young voters, since we've been talking to them even in 2020, They want to see people running who look like them. The DNC, Democrat National Committee, has pointed to several programs that are geared towards attracting the youth vote ahead of the November midterm elections. They say it launched a social ambassador program to train young volunteers on social media, plans to host youth voter training sessions beginning at the end of July with the inaugural event featuring Senator Warren is a guest speaker. She just makes my butt pucker. Elizabeth Warren. She's one of those people when she starts, it's her voice, I think, that just gets it right at the top. She's a whiner. And it just makes you want to go, woman, shut up. Say, speak what you want us to hear. But you don't have to screech when you give it to us. You'll probably know that that was a personal opinion. (laughs) The Democrat Party apparatus is also organizing on college campuses across battleground states like Pennsylvania, Arizona, and Wisconsin. And the DNC joined TikTok. There you go. Democrats are now in the mainstream. One or two of them, they put TikTok on their iPhones if they have an iPhone. Some say worries about Biden and young voters are overstated and not a sign of disengagement ahead of the midterms. His numbers overall, they say, are a reflection of the mood of the country, and that can certainly change. That's Democrat strategist Rodell Molyneux, who served as an aide to the late Senate Majority Leader Harry Reid. I think it can, and I think it will change, he said. A poll by the Institute of Politics at Harvard's Kennedy School back in April concluded that 2022 midterm youth turnout was on track to match the surge in turnout during the 2018 midterms. Biden was underwater with the young voters in 2020. We had the highest youth turnout in American history. But that was a different kind of election when Democrats were motivated to unseat former President Trump, who, like Biden, won't be on the ballot this fall. During the election, even if these folks weren't crazy about Biden, they hated Trump, and that was plenty enough reason for voting. But it's different now. They're hurting financially. They want things to be better. Novel idea. Can you imagine, can you believe that there is a generation of young Americans that understand my money It's not going far enough. It's not going far enough like it used to. Whatever happened? You know, we got rid of the orange man. He was bad. We were told he was destroying the nation. But I made more money with him. I had a good job with him. Everything cost less. Filling up at the gas tank now, oh my gosh, I have to borrow my money from mom and dad because I can't pay for it myself like I I could when Donald Trump was president. Reality sets in, folks. Reality sets in. We're going to get to the bottom of some of this January 6th craziness in the next hour. When we come back in a minute, Steve Baker, photojournalist, on the ground at the Capitol all day on January 6th, 2020. He's got a different but very knowledgeable educated perspective of what happened there because he was there as a photojournalist and we're going to weigh into one mysterious guy who was everywhere during this insurrection and I'll tell you the guy's name when we come back and Steve Baker joins us at TNN Live.
3: Hi, this is Jack, founder of Jack in the Box. Is the caller there? Mr. Box, Douglas Goppers from Burger Week magazine. Oh, hey, Doug. Doug's a respected fast food critic. I recently dined on your sourdough Jack combo. And? Perfection. The cheese, the jumbo patty, the golden sourdough bread, the french fries. Bravo. Well, thank you. However, I found the dessert a bit dry. It doesn't come with dessert. The candy. The white, round candy with the happy face. Was it wearing a scarf? Yes, I believe it was. Rosy cheeks? Fuzzy earmuffs? Yes, that's it.
4: Douglas, you ate a holiday ball. (gasps) We're giving one away free to customers who buy a sourdough Jack combo. But they're not for dessert. They're for antennas. Or a pencil? Right. Well, that's going to improve your score dramatically. Excellent.
3: Genuine Ford Parts and Service presents A Word From Your Wallet.
2: are typically pretty quiet. Well, I didn't want to be a pain in the uh,
3: uh, uh, uh. Hurry in for the best deals we've had in years. Money-saving rebates on brakes, batteries, tires, and more. See your participating Ford dealer today.
0: When a governor can tell a president, no rally in my state, it's time for some definitive truth. Here with the goods, again, Dan Newman.
1: Well, I'm not by myself. I'm never by myself. I always have somebody around. I just can't get one guy's name out of my head regarding the insanity on January 6th that happened in Washington, D.C., and I've been telling you all morning long, one of our buddies, somebody that is a, uh, a very gritty and a really good um, reporter, journalist, whatever you call him, he's a photojournalist, but he does other things, has a great website, Steve Baker. And Steve's on the phone with us now. He was right in the middle of all of this. And I mentioned the name that I wanted him to discuss with us. And he started chuckling and he told me, he said, oh, yeah, I've got a lot of information on that. Steve, how are you doing today?
4: Hey,
3: man, good. Good to talk to you again, Dan. Did I wake you up? Oh, no, no. As a matter of fact, um, my my day usually starts pretty early with uh, just consuming the news i start looking at everything that happened overnight and uh, deciding how i'm going to what i'm going to do with it during the day so that's what i was up doing this morning when you contacted me i do
1: the same thing i get up early and go to bed late maybe we're in the wrong job i don't
3: know about yours but (laughs) i don't get paid a lot here (laughs) well i I certainly i I think i think if we calculated minimum wage versus the uh, number of hours (laughs) i put in i'm being way underpaid well uh I, I guess
1: we're not on Fox News. That tells that story. <laughs> you exactly. gotta, you gotta go somewhere big time. You know where they have money and they tell yeah. the truth. A lot of places, like at your place and our place, where we tell the truth, it just ain't a lot of, of, of jack in the uh, cash register, right? Exactly. Exactly. Okay, I'm gonna spring the name on everybody. They've, I've been teasing them all day. I haven't said it. Ray Epps. His name is now again coming up again and again and again. And when that happens, you as a journalist, me as a journalist, we know if somebody's name keeps coming around, there's something to it. And there are people that know about it. And some people ask the question, and the other side, they're saying the Sergeant Schultz thing. I know nothing. We know they do know stuff. Tell us about Ray Epps.
3: Well, worse than even I know nothing is that now the mainstream media is coming and uh, to the defense of Ray Epps, and they're and they're literally providing cover for a huge, huge part of this story. A- anybody who has covered this or, or followed this in any manner whatsoever knows that Ray Epps is, in fact, one of those. Um, what do you call it? He was one of those major chief frontline provocateurs of this entire episode he was a pla- he was beginning. a plant he was a plant well you know it, it, the one thing that we don't know and 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 you know after the after the new york times article came out a couple of days ago and 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 as i said ran cover for him and what they said what they did is they reverse characterized him because back in the middle of last year you may remember the New York times actually produced their own video documentary about uh, January 6th in that documentary, they themselves identified Ray Epps as one of those frontline provocateurs. That's now that's their own video. Now I watched that documentary because they actually bought some of my video and used it in that documentary, believe it or not. So, so I, I, you know, obviously I had a keen interest in it. Now you fast forward to a year later, And they're running cover for him by saying that he's a victim of, quote unquote, right wing conspiracy theorists and uh, and a victim of defamation of his character and all of this. And 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 the story went on to say, and and, and the reason why I'm covering the story first is because this is what has kicked off this whole Ray Epps thing once again and made him trending on all the, you know, the twitter and everywhere else in the world is is because that story was so blatantly full of lies and not just full of lies but you you know there's there's an old uh yiddish proverb that says um uh how it, go? it says uh, a half truth is a whole lie a half truth is a whole lie. well this new york times article didn't even rise to the level of even a half truth it was maybe only about five percent truth and then it obscured everything else about his actions that day. And and so one of the first things that has to be discussed about Ray Epps when you're talking about these, these omissions of truth is not only was he there the night before calling for people to enter the Capitol, not, not, not March on the Capitol, not, participate in the protest march which was actually pre-scheduled. It was in the, the brochures, it was on the, the, the event scheduling website. There was going to be a march on the Capitol. He was in advance telling people that we have to go inside the Capitol building. And and even on the night before, as he's standing next to by the way, the other key primary figure who I just wrote an article about this week, John Sullivan, the Antifa guy, who got the first, you know, videos of Ashley Babbitt being killed? Right. That's a whole other yeah. story. We yeah. won't go. We won't go there today. But he's standing next to him, calling for people to enter the Capitol. Coincidence that he was standing next to this other character? Eh, I don't know, but he was. And so, calling for people to enter the Capitol. Then the next morning, before Trump's speech, Trump did not start speaking. He got he got to the stage an hour late. He was scheduled to begin his speech at uh, eleven a.m. He didn't take the stage until 1157 a.m., three minutes before noon. At that time, Ray Epps had already spent his entire morning, he's captured on multiple videos, moving throughout the crowd, around the Ellipse and around the Washington Monument, telling people, listen up, we have to, as soon as this speech is over, we have to begin marching that way, the Capitol is that direction, and telling people that they needed to go inside the Capitol. All right. that's that's irrefutable. This is not right-wing conspiracy theory. This isn't Tucker Carlson babbling on Fox News about something he doesn't know about. Uh, it, it, this is absolutely foundational truth captured on video. Now, this is the other thing about the New York Times article, and this is an absolute lie. <coughs> Excuse me. The the reporter, uh, I think it's Alan Fuhrer, is his name for the New York Times. What he said was, he said that. Epps traveled all the way to DC specifically to go to Trump's speech about election fraud. That's the quote. In fact, I'll read you a quote. Mr. Epps said that he had acted stupidly, and at times when he and one of his own sons took uh, at times when he and one of his own sons took a trip to Washington for Mr. Trump's speech about election fraud. That was the reason given in that article for him traveling to Washington. By every video source documented timelines metadata on his actions and his whereabouts guess what he did not do what and what he did not he didn't attend the speech he didn't huh. spend 1 minute at trump's speech you know all the this investigation big I've, big...
1: all the investigation i've done on this i never i never even knew that i didn't i didn't think anything about that that was the big deal he was supposed to be going for that's exactly
3: it, and this this is where the, the 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 lie. So this is this is beyond this is beyond lies of omission. This is now the commission of absolute falsehoods by both Epps and the reporter. And that's assuming that Epps even told the reporter that. Yeah, uh, I was I, when this article came out. I was having a um, a chat with. Um, uh, a, a reporter from the Epoch Times, and he and I were laughing about this. Art. We we had read this article and he he and I were, were private messaging each other and laughing phrase by phrase at this particular article, at the absurdity of it. Now, this guy that I'm talking to is, you know, 40 year professional investigative reporter and we know all the signs of when truth is being told and when it's being colored and we know what yellow journalism, you know, we know what yellow journalism looks like. And and this didn't even rise to the level of yellow journalism. You know, there's like, there's this phrase, um, and we've all heard it before when, when a politician of either side is, is, is speaking to his base and he's throwing red meat to his own audience. You've heard that phrase before. Yeah. And I'm sure all of, all of your listeners have. Well, Well, this wasn't even, even for the, for the leftist crowd, this this article didn't even rise to the level of you know of throwing raw tofu or fried crickets out at them, you know, to, to munch on. It much less red meat. This is how bad this article was. Because, as I said, foundationally from the very beginning, the reason given for Epps to be in Washington that day was to hear Trump's speech, and he didn't attend one second of it. He was already making his way over to the Capitol but what he had done is the night before he had moved uh, around to all the groups. He, he went to um, black life matter square. He went to other areas where protesters were already pre gathering on the night before he began calling for people to enter the Capitol. The next morning, that's what he spent his morning doing. Dan, he had a job. He had an assignment. Now, was that assignment from the FBI? Was that assignment from Nancy Pelosi? I don't know yet. We don't know that. We don't know if he was a confidential human uh, source of the of a federal agency or if he was working for somebody else. But the one thing that we know beyond any shadow of a doubt is that the lie of him being there for Trump's speech is blatant and provable. The second thing, and this is where it really, really falls apart, they say and they make the claim that the reason why he was not arrested is because he didn't enter the Capitol building. All right.
1: Well, not everybody that got not
3: everybody that got arrested went into the Capitol. That that's absolutely correct. But here's what we do know about Ray Epps because again, we have it from multiple angles on video. And this is, this is why he should be in jail is he was there at the first barricade breach Minutes before the breach actually happened, obviously participating in the discussions and the instruction of what was taking place, because when he was at the video, we have the video of him leaning over and whispering into a young man's ear, and that young man's name is Ryan Samsel, all right? Two seconds after he whispered in Ryan Samsel's ear, Samsel charged the barricade Full speed, knocking it over, knocking the female Capitol police officer, Carolyn Edwards, to the ground where she busted her head wide open on a concrete step, knocked her unconscious. And that barricade then had a clearly marked do not enter restricted area sign on the barricade. And after Samsel knocked that barricade over with the assistance of other of those protesters that were on that front line of the first barricade, what he did not do, what Ray Epps did not do, was assist Carolyn Edwards at all. He stepped over the barricade and over her and then trotted in a full trot towards the Capitol building. He, he broke and went through a clearly- marked do not enter sign. He broke the law right there in the moment as one of the first people to breach the Capitol grounds through a restricted area sign. And this was long before the thousands and thousands of people that eventually made their way over from the speech. After all those barricades had been removed, the signs had been hidden and turned upside down, which we have video of all of that. I mean there there were agents provocateur that their job was to turn they literally are on video going out and turning those signs over hiding the barricades so that the thousands could come through with no knowledge whatsoever that they were potentially entering a restricted space and this is why just in April we had our first acquittal so we you know we finally had our first trial in April of a of a gentleman who he said no I'm 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 going to do a bench trial with the judge I didn't do anything wrong, and and the judge said, "Hey, this guy had every reason to believe that a he wasn't re- entering a restricted space because there was no sign, there was no signage from his path, and b he had every uh, reason to believe that the Capitol Police welcomed him into the building, and he was uh, all four of the charges against him were dismissed, but that's not the case with Ray Epps. Ray Epps was standing at the sign while it's." still was up. The barricade was still up. He whispered in that young man's. Oh, and by the way, Ryan, Ryan Samsel. Yes. He's been in jail now. For, he's been in jail for 17 months, now, yeah. 16, yeah. Uh, 18 months. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the guy's ear he whispered in has been rotting in the DC gulag for this time. And, and yet Ray Epps is a free man. Hey, we're going to go to a break. When we come back,
1: I want you to give us, and I, I've always trusted your opinion. And anytime I need to get a clear picture of any issue that's on the table, especially regarding the 2020 election, you're my go to guy. I really trust you. <laughs> I want to okay. know what in the heck is going on today with Ray Epps, and his name keeps yeah. coming up. So there's yeah. something big. There's got to be something big in the offing for this to happen. You know that. In DC, if there's a bunch of noise about something that hasn't been being constantly talked about, there's always something big in the wind. Yeah. Can you stand put for two minutes? Absolutely. Steve Baker, photojournalist, friend to this show. Uh, He's been in Washington, D.C. a bunch, but he was there with his camera and got some of the most amazing video that outlets around the world have carried. And you've seen some of them if you've looked in on the January 6th thing. But Ray Epps is the big question mark that we're getting to the bottom of. And this guy was involved, and he is involved. Details just ahead. Two minutes at TNN Live.
5: Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the...
0: I'm a Verizon engineer, and today we're turning on 5G across the country, including right here in New York City, with the coverage of 5G nationwide and in more and more cities, the unprecedented performance of Ultra Wideband. It will change your phone and how businesses do everything. I'm proud because we didn't build it the easy way, we built it right. This is the 5G America's been waiting for. Only from Verizon. 5G Ultra Wideband available only in parts of select cities. 5G nationwide available in 1,800 plus cities. Square Packages, the packaging specialists, are proud to present a box on both your houses. The untold story of the invention of the box and the family rivalry that nearly destroyed it. It's a tale about opening your heart, finding acceptance, and inventing the most efficient means of shipping and packaging that mankind has ever known. Proving that to find what's in your soul, you have to look outside the box. And into another box, which is a house, your home. And that truly is the greatest box of all. Tune in every Wednesday at 8 for this once-in-a-week-time television event, A Box on Both Your Houses, presented by Square Packages, the packaging specialists. You're fighting back the tsunami of ignorance... With Dan Newman, TNN, the Truth News Network.
1: What an appropriate bump there. We're fighting back a tsunami of ignorance. Oh my gosh. <laughs> There's plenty of ignorance to go around D.C., and a big pile of it lives and works at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. But we haven't finished with what happened in the election in which Joe Biden, in a landslide, became President of the United States. But on the day, the big day, January 6, 2020, one guy's come to the forefront in the news and keeps coming back. Ray Epps is his name. Steve Baker, one of the best photojournalists in America. And somebody that is so detail-oriented, it just blows my mind. I love sitting and having a conversation with him about something I thought I knew everything about. And I find out I knew very little about it. Steve, again, thanks for joining us. Okay, Ray Epps, who is he? What's going on? And what is suspected that he was doing that may be criminal?
3: Well, if you're asking me that question specifically, Dan, I am myself fully committed to only writing about the truth that I know when I know it's true. Okay. Gotcha. And with that, with that established, we all have our presuppositions. We all have our biases of, you know, politically and every other way. And, and you and I know that you and I don't necessarily agree on everything politic from a political standpoint, but the one thing that I want to find. And the one thing that I want to write about is what truth is. And sometimes I'm wrong. And I will tell you something about January 6th that, that, that has caught me by surprise more often than not is, is when I did my very, very first, um, YouTube video, that was the evening of January 6th from my hotel room. And all I was doing was basically doing a, you know, a decompression rant for about a half hour about what I had seen that day. And But that's what I had seen with my eyes. You know what I mean? There was this this incredibly kinetic situation that had lasted for hours. And your brain and your eyes just cannot possibly process that. And so then when I got home and I spent five days going frame by frame by frame over my video, I realized that a lot of what I thought I saw with my eyes was not true. So I had to write about that. I I had to correct things that I said in my first video and so and then and that was like a week after um January 6th that I published my first article and it was like it was it was long it was a 9500 word you know piece and it was everything that I saw that day and I and I had to correct things because my own video conflicted with what my brain had thought it had seen so truth being the primary objective I had to I had to make corrections then a month and a, a month or so later, five weeks later, I published my second long article, and I had to make corrections again because as information comes forward, when you get out of the fog of war and you get out of the chaos of the moment, and you start accumulating more truths and factual detail then you have to, you have to, if you're, if you're an honest broker, you have to adapt to that and you have to tell your own readership and your own followers. Okay. I made a mistake here, but here, here it is now. So, so many, many times over the course of the last year and a half, I have changed perspectives on certain details and events about January sixth without losing focus of the overall picture. And the one thing that I have not lost focus of is that somebody up the chain was calling the shots that day. That's the part I want to get to
1: because we hear that and it's this conspiracy theory. If you ever bring it up, you know how they do it. Try to try to quiet the dissidents, but there's more to it. Is there any tie that you know factually? And I don't want you to assume I appreciate your journalistic integrity. That's one reason why you're welcome on this network. Anytime we're, Truthsayers, we get after the truth we give our opinions too, but we always yeah. do do a disclaimer hey folks i'm not sure about this yet what we've seen is looking this way and i want you to know it's out there we're going to continue to investigate but here's what we think now if that changes we'll come back and tell you i know you do the same stuff so hmm. tell us where this ray epps thing is going that you factually know about and then i respect your opinion knowing that it changes as all of ours does uh if you've got an opinion i know your opinions are going to be based upon what you yeah. have seen and digested mm-hmm. i want you to give us that as well but tell us what you know about epps
3: well here, here's what we know in the, the larger picture and then i'll I'll narrow it down to epps. fair enough in in the in the larger picture, we know beyond any shadow of a doubt. This is not conspiracy theory. Again, this is not Tucker Carlson one oh one. This is not you know Alex Jones nonsense. This is absolute verifiable facts confirmed by multiple resources, not only public resources, but also confidential sources that Different federal agencies had embedded in all of these groups, whether it was the Oath keepers, the proud boys, um, uh, whether and and we don't know, I, I can say this, we don't know to what extent other maybe left wing antagonist groups that were involved that day. We know they were involved, but we don't know if if um, federal agencies had sources embedded with them, or, were, or or any of these guys were paid confidential, you know, human resources to any federal agencies from the left side. Right. We know that it was happening on the right side, and then we also know beyond any shadow of a doubt that the FBI days in advance of January sixth had moved into D.C. area the tactical units for almost every three-letter agency in the federal bureaucracy. So the the FBI's own tactical unit, the uh, U.S. Marshals tactical units, uh, the ATF tactical units were all there, and they were all staged around the Capitol that day, okay? We know that beyond any shadow of a doubt. It's been verified even by left-wing mainstream media sources like Newsweek. I reported that the U.S. Marshals and that Army Special Forces were embedded in the crowd that day. I reported that back February of last year, just just six weeks after the event itself. It took Newsweek a solid year before they came out and verified that story with a headline that says uh, that said, Uh, special operatives with shoot-to-kill orders were in the crowd on January 6th. So it's confirmed right, from all sides. All right. So that's the groundwork there. Knowing that and then knowing what Epps' actions were, knowing the reason he said he was there, as we covered already a few minutes ago, knowing that the reason he was purported to be there was never – He never engaged in that activity of actually watching Trump's speech. We know that he was there at the first breach. We know that he was then – he continued to encourage people as a classic what we call agent provocateur to move in. What we do not know, Dan, is who he was working for. It's very easy to say that he was a federal uh, confidential human source, and and, and it's kind of of hard not to – um, uh, go that direction because Ray Epps on January 8th, two days after the event was posted as the number 16 guy on the FBI's capital most wanted list. Well, let me
1: ask you this. His name's not on that list anymore. No. Any
3: January- idea why? Uh, he his name was removed some weeks later, uh, along with a batch, a batch of several others that removed. And this is this is the only reason why I say I can't authorita- authoritatively say he was an FBI human resource. Right. That doesn't mean that he wasn't a resource of another federal agency or working for somebody else up the chain that day. Sure. Because it, it you, know, you know how it is with these agencies. The left hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing. half the time. Yeah, they the hide everything just, from each other. Yeah, that's just the dysfunction of large government. And so, once he was known to be an asset, he suddenly disappeared, and everything went quiet. Well, here's here's where now we fast forward again. All right, so the first time you and I had a long discussion about this, I was actually in D.C. on the anniversary of January 6th. so this past January. Yeah. And you and I, you and I did two hours uh, talking about this from my hotel room that day. Right. And so, so what ended up happening? was that week two major things were happening from the alternative media. We were pummeling the narrative by saying two things. We kept saying, who is Ray Epps? Who is Ray Epps? Who is Ray Epps? We were asking that question over, and that's, that's now like a, a hashtag, who is Ray Epps? Hashtag who is Ray Epps? It's, it's it, and we were pummeling the the narrative, the media, and and the Pelosi's uh, quote unquote a desire to establish and preserve the narrative of January 6, which she rolled out that week, and so we were not only asking who is Ray Epps, but we were also saying, you keep calling this uh, an insurrection and sedition, but nobody has been charged with those crimes. Well, exactly one week later, what did they do? They charged 11 of the Oath Keepers with seditious conspiracy. So because we were because we were embarrassing them and showing them and, and just and just over and over and over again and every myself, because I did I did interviews all week long. I was on I was on every everything from CNN to Newsmax, both sides. And and we kept asking those same questions. Why is nobody being charged with sedition and insurrection? So on January 13th of this year, suddenly 11 people were charged with seditious conspiracy. And then the next thing that happened was Epps was then immediately subpoenaed and called in to speak to the quote unquote uh, house uh, select January 6th committee. So he had to fly to DC or maybe he did, I I, I shouldn't say that he either went to DC or it was done on a zoom call, but he was interviewed by uh, the um, uh, house select committee. We've never heard the transcript. We've never seen a sim- single video from that, that interview. But what they did is they released a one-paragraph statement, and this is basically, I'm, I'm paraphrasing because I don't have it in front of me. They said, oh, yeah, we asked him if he was uh, a federal resource, and he said no. <laughs> that's
1: that's, that, that's how this select committee operates. <laughs> yeah. no, nobody can know anything. Nobody can know anything. It's because we're but, but in Dan, charge. It's
3: the, again, yeah, the, the absurdity of it, because in that select committee, as you know, there's no opposition side asking questions. Correct. There's no cross examination of any of the witnesses. No evidence can be seen. No evidence.
1: No evidence can be seen by any of the opposition. It's it's just no. it's it's a charade, and that just makes it even more important that we find out what the heck Ray Epps was
3: doing that day and why. Well, they. Yeah. So, so th- their, their one paragraph statement was we asked him, he said, no, good enough for us. That doesn't fly anywhere, no, Dan. No, it's never, it, it doesn't fly. Even in congressional committees, there's always an opposition, at least that gets to ask questions and that's not happening in this committee. Correct. So no opposition op- asked Ray Epps a single question. So on the, on the, on the strength or not the strength of the weakness of that statement rather of that particular um, one paragraph dismissal of, of Epps and his involvement with any federal agency, we went crazy. Myself and others went nuts and all of our socials and all of our articles and all of our blogs and, and, and even the, 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 the larger resources from, from Carlson to back to, you know, to, to Ben Shapiro, they all went nuts going, you don't just get to say he said he wasn't, and then you walk away from the story. and so on as a result of that, it forced the committee to release a subsequent statement that said, okay, we're going to release for everybody a full transcript of the Epps interview. Dan, that was six months ago. yeah, cricket.
1: I know Crickets. I know nothing. nothing nothing. They haven't given us anything, any substantive material. That is not extremely edited uh, to look one way, specific way. By not having the opposition there, I mean, we've watched this play out for generations in places like sure. Russia and, uh, you know, the old Germany, the fascist states. That's what we're not used to seeing. So let's let's get down to the end of this. Are you going to give me your opinion on what you think Ray oh, you, was so about?
3: <laughs> so you want my opinion i want your all opinion right, okay all right so so we'll spec fair, fair enough I, I'll, 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 I'll give you an, i'll give you an interesting aside on this okay uh when when this whole um thing for myself started escalating towards potentially being prosecuted myself for being there uh this ha- this was going on in november of last year uh, i actually got a call one night from senator uh ron johnson uh senator from wisconsin and he said to me, um, I'm going to have my investigators contact you. So a couple of days later, I'm on the phone with his chief investigators because they were they themselves, the Senate, were also doing a, 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 an investigation of the January 6th uh, events. And so his two chief investigators got on the phone call with me, and we spent a solid hour doing exactly what you and I are doing right now. Not, nothing but the facts, man. Yeah. All they wanted to know was facts, facts, data, can you prove it? Can you back it up? That was it. Right. And then at the end of that call, at the, at, towards the end of the call, they said, okay, now we want you to speculate. And that's what you're asking now. And there's a reason for that. Because when you have people either like myself or some of these other great investigators that are working on this story, once once you immerse yourself in the amount of data and the number of videos and photography and the interviews we've done with the characters involved in this in this escapade. once you do that you can't help but start you know developing a picture of it and the, and as I said to you earlier, the one thing that has not changed since February of last year up until here we are in July of uh, you know a year and a half later is that there's no doubt in my mind that somebody in the government was orchestrating, Every step of what happened that day as the crowds were moving up, we know beyond any shadow of a doubt that federal assets were embedded in the various groups, the antagonists and otherwise. We know beyond any shadow of a doubt that there are dozens and dozens of clearly identified, unindicted co-conspirators that were violent, that were participating in the breach itself, that were frontline in the breach. We have high definition photography of their faces, it's been blasted all over the internet. All these, all these software device, you know, um, facial recognition software, been, I've done it, I've done, I've, I've looked up dozens, of. spent so much money doing facial recognition identification myself. And these people are now ghosts. They don't exist anywhere. They've been washed. So there's somebody at a much higher level orchestrated this thing and the cover up continues and for some reason now the New York and when the New York Times will contradict their own story from last year to run cover for a guy dude you know you yeah. asked for my opinion yeah this is this is this is now a high level cover up I know and
1: I have tremendous respect for you and your journalistic Integrity. Um, Again, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to repeat what you know about us. We give people the truth. We confirm facts and we tell people these are confirmed facts. But in this world in which we find ourselves living, you included, occasionally we have to draw opinions and the probability of something being something because of the evidence that we've examined that proves that, but not all the way through the process. How high, in your opinion, does this go? And I'm not asking for names necessarily, but... I'll give you names. Okay, give me names. (laughs) I was being nice. I I, wanted to give you a way out.
3: I called it on February 24th of last year, six weeks after the event itself. I placed this squarely in the laps of nancy pelosi and mitch mcconnell and let me tell you why okay just just uh, a couple of weeks ago uh the gentleman who was the sergeant at arms of the senate passed away yes and okay and there was a huge amount of absolute absurd conspiracy theorists that took to the airwaves within minutes and hours of his passing they claimed everything from, you know, him being a lizard person to, you know, being uh, subpoenaed that next day for that su- for surprise, yeah. that surprise House committee that was happening on, on the next morning yeah. and saying that he was murdered. They literally said that he was shot in the streets of D.C. crossing the street to his apartment. I mean, they're publishing. People are, are publishing blogs with this in it. They're making it up. I mean, and people are out there just to do this thing. They just make it up as they go along out of a out of whole. I mean. It's amazing when we have to sift through this. Well, none of that was true. I did a huge investigative story on not only his life, his participation that day, but in his death. I actually believe he was one of the good guys. He was contacted by the Capitol Police uh, chief, asked over and over again that day for authorization to bring in the National Guard. Yeah, I remember that. He was the one that actually said, I'll run it up the chain. And each time he ran it up the chain, silence came back. Yeah, You know who was up the chain from him as the Senate Sergeant at Arms?
1: Well, in the Senate, only, you just mentioned one
3: McConnell in the Senate. It was McConnell. And Pelosi exactly. in the House. And then his counterpart on the other side, Sergeant of Arms for the House, he was running it up the chain. That's only Pelosi. Correct. Only, only Pelosi and McConnell could thwart that request for the National Guard to come in. That's it. I mean, this is just, this is just the function and the chain of command of government. So when I wrote an incredibly long investigative article, thirty five hundred words, and published it on February twenty fourth, I had no um, choice but to conclude who was up the chain that day. It was Pelosi and McConnell. That's
1: it. And ever since, ever since, what has been being played is the defense, and it goes back to the question, did Donald Trump ask for 20,000 National Guard troops to be there? And it was refuted over and over and over again for a year and a half. And then finally, uh, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs comes out and says, I'm tired of this crap. He asked for it. And we got told no by Nancy Pelosi
3: and Mitch McConnell. Yeah. So in addition to that, in addition to that, a 2,500-member-strong Capitol Police Force only had a couple hundred of their officers on duty that day on a day when they knew that hundreds of thousands of people would be pouring into Washington, D.C. And the FBI, FBI had told
1: everybody. There is a yeah, likelihood F- there's going to be violence that day. The
3: FBI, you know, FBI's actual quote was possibility for war. Yeah. That's their quote, not mine. Well, listen, my friend,
1: I uh, I can't tell you how I love having these conversations with you. And our crowd is immense today. I just looked over at the numbers and it's to credit you being with us and us touting the fact <laughs> that you were going to be here in our second hour. Listen, anytime, anytime you have something to say, and I've told you this before, that you need to trumpet to some other folks besides those that are regulars with you, you always have a place to come. And I want you to come anytime. Call me. We'll go live with Steve Baker. You're a hero down here in Louisiana, buddy. <laughs> Thanks, Dan. But you already knew that. So nah. on another on, on another note, are
3: you uh, you playing yeah. a
1: gig somewhere this weekend?
3: uh this weekend i am off and uh, uh i'll i'll be back at it again next week and then i finally am going to have because we've had a rather busy spring thank goodness uh that uh that the music live music you know market has reopened again to some yes, extent thank- hopefully thankfully we- Yes. Hopefully the economy uh, and then fresh lockdowns are not going to happen again as they're calling for potentially uh, saying could happen again this fall when we hit the quote unquote, uh, you know, Wuhan flu season. And um, if that as long as that doesn't happen and we get to continue working, I'll I'll uh, I'll continue to be able to do what I'm doing now (laughs) Uh,
1: on the way out. I had lunch with a mutual friend of ours yesterday and I told him I was going to be asking you to come on the show today. And he said, tell him hello, Steve Munns.
3: Oh, all right. Well, you know, Steve and I have a long, 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 long history. He was my my youth pastor back uh, when yeah. I was a teenager. Yeah. Right. And uh, and he wasn't much older than that. <laughs> <laughs> we're, getting, we're all getting old, buddy.
1: Oh, yeah. I guess that BC Absolutely. alternative, huh? <laughs> Absolutely, it does. <laughs> Steve Baker, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom. And you keep us posted anytime you need anything from us. Just give us a call. Thanks, Dan. You're one of us. really appreciate it. All right. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. Steve Baker. Boy, I like like listening to him. He's kind of like a wordsmith when he tells a story. It's not just, hey, here are the facts. He paints it, and it makes it easier to understand. Steve Baker, back after this. You're fighting back the tidal wave of deceit, lies, spin, and ignorance
0: with TNN. The Truth News Network. Long live the courageous. The tenacious. The ones who push forward and give back. Long live the greater good. The helping hand, those who fall and get back up and long live the truck with the strength to overcome, the will to outwork and the commitment to outlast them all, RAM proven to last. Hey, Thirst, can
4: I try out a few Coke
0: summer sound effects on you? Yes! Cool. You okay with this? Yes! And this? Yes! And what about this? Yes! Ha! Got gotcha you there, Thirst! That wasn't sound effects. That was a Coke. I'm no longer thirsty. You're so out of here coca-cola open happiness
1: now we have a decision to make i didn't tell you going into this conversation with steve baker but he referenced tucker carlson fox news one of the guys that uh i know factually is an actual genius and uh He's into everything to get to the root of all of the questions that are asked. Last night, Tucker did a Ray Epps segment. Now, it's 10 minutes long. You just spent about 40 minutes with Steve Baker. I'm sitting here pondering, do I let you do another 10 minutes with Tucker Carlson or should you want to listen to me? Hmm. Raise your hand if you want to hear Tucker. (laughs) (laughs) I want to hear Tucker regarding Ray Epps again, that mysterious man that was instigating a lot of stuff that happened, and he disappeared. Ray Epps, Tucker Carlson, and he weighed in
2: with his version. So we want to go to another story um, that's been brewing tonight. So for weeks, as you know, the January 6th committee has been holding hearings. They've been widely covered on the other channels. We haven't seen the news value in them. But there is a bit of news to emerge from that story, and we want to get to it now. So the New York Times has written hundreds and hundreds of articles about January 6th since it happened, describing it as a riot, an insurrection. As part of its coverage, last summer, the Times published a video documentary in which the Times reported that one man was actually caught on camera planning an insurrection, encouraging a breach of the Capitol complex. That man's name is Ray Epps. Now, the New York Times noted that Epps was videotaped on both January 5th and January 6th urging protesters to storm the Capitol. Here it is. We
4: need to go
1: in to the Capitol. Let's go.
4: I'm going to put it out there. I'm probably going to go to jail. Tomorrow, we need to go into the Capitol.
2: Now, in a lot of ways, that's the strangest video to emerge from January 6th. We played it several times in this show. Quote, we need to go into the Capitol, into the Capitol, Ray Epps tells the crowd. He says it repeatedly. He's so emphatic about it, encouraging other people to commit a crime that the crowd around him decides he must be a federal agent. They began chanting, as you just heard, Fed, Fed. So shortly after that video surfaced, the FBI placed Ray Epps on a list of people wanted for questioning, and they released it to the public. And you can understand why they did that. According to the Justice Department, what Ray Epps did on that video is a federal crime. In fact, the Biden administration has charged several people with seditious conspiracy for doing precisely what you just saw Ray Epps do, urging others to enter the Capitol complex on January 6th. Here, for example, is a quote from a DOJ press release that describes the federal case against five members of the so-called Proud Boys, the group you're supposed to be terrified of. Quote: On January 6, 2021, the Defendants directed, mobilized, and led members of the crowd onto the Capitol grounds and into the Capitol, end quote. Again, that's what you just saw Ray Epps tried to do. But here's the difference. Others who have done that are in prison or facing long terms in prison. But no charges have ever been filed against Ray Epps, despite the fact there's no question he did it because once more it's on tape. That's very strange. It just is. And we don't care how many people call us names for pointing that out, it is strange. And we'd like an answer to what the heck is going on. Now, we've asked Ray Epps on this show repeatedly to explain why he thinks he has escaped prosecution. And we'll ask him once again tonight, and we will keep asking, because we think it is a very obvious and important question that gets to the heart of what is this exactly? But it's amazing how little Democrats want to hear about this. Again, Nancy Pelosi and Liz Cheney have spent the last year staging an investigation at great expense And then a series of public show trials, arresting people in their homes, supposedly designed to discover how and why January 6th happened. But they remain curiously uninterested in the Epps case. We've got what seems like an actual insurrectionist on tape, but they don't want to talk about it. And they definitely don't want you to talk about it or ask any questions. As if to prove that point. The New York Times just ran a piece explaining that when you ask questions about Ray Epps, you are committing a moral crime, maybe even helping Putin. The piece was entitled, It's Just Been Hell, Life as the Victim of a January 6th Conspiracy Theory. Oh, so Ray Epps, the guy telling people to breach the Capitol, is now in the words of the New York Times, a victim, a victim of your unrestrained curiosity. Now, this piece was written by a reporter who has spent years shilling openly for the intelligence agency may give you some sense of where this storyline comes from. Like the agencies themselves, the New York Times piece was highly deceptive. For example, the New York Times says that Epps was, quote, taped urging people to go to the Capitol. Oh, but that's not what the tape shows. Ray Epps was doing something very different. Ray Epps was urging people to go into the Capitol, not to the Capitol. And there's a big difference legally. One is a crime, according to the DOJ, and the other is not a crime. And that's not all Ray Epps did. Epps also told people what they should do once they got inside the Capitol, and that's on video too. This is just minutes before the first breach of the building that day. Watch.
1: So one more thing. Yeah, so can we go up there? No.
2: When we go in, are we going to get arrested? If we go up there? Yeah. You don't need to get yeah. shot. When do we go in, leave this here. What does that mean? Well, for some reason, the New York Times reporter didn't ask Ray Epps what he meant by that. Now, the reporter spent a day talking to Epps. It was a day-long conversation, according to the story. But that question never came up. No meaningful question came up. It's all very strange. The New York Times is mounting a propaganda campaign on behalf of a self-described Trump voter insurrectionist. Now, this is the same paper that cheered Ashley Babbitt's death. But this same paper is weeping for Ray Epps because people have been mean to him online? Hmm. It's almost like they're trying to cover something up. Now, buried near the end of the New York Times piece, there's a hint. We find this line, quote, Mr. Epps also said he regretted sending a text to his nephew well after the violence had erupted, in which he discussed how he helped orchestrate the movements of people who were leaving Mr. Trump's speech near the White House by pointing them in the direction of the Capitol. Really? What was in that text? We'd never heard of that before. And it kind of makes you think the entire New York Times piece was written to drop that little bomblet at the end in the least damaging way. Now, we'd never seen that text message before. What exactly did Ray Epps say to his nephew? Have prosecutors reviewed that text? The New York Times doesn't tell us, nor does the New York Times tell us whether Ray Epps has had any contact with any federal agencies in the period before January 6th. That's the core question. But they didn't ask it. Why is that? Seems like a major omission. But don't ask more questions, commands the New York Times. Otherwise, Ray Epps may be killed by Mexican drug cartels. Mexican drug cartels, what do they have to do with this? We're not sure, but according to the paper, there are people who have heard, quote, some cartel members talking about killing Mr. Epps. Right, because the drug cartels are committed Trump voters and they feel betrayed by Ray Epps. Maybe they're QAnon people too. This is highly strange. And if you're going to spend more than a year looking into January 6th and you ignore this, then it's more than strange. <laughs> it's an indictment of your motives. Darren Beatty is one of the reasons this piece was first written. He's the editor of Revolver News, which published the first stories about Ray Epps. Obviously, The New York Times is very worried about his reporting. We're happy to have him join us tonight. Darren, thanks so much for coming on. What, what
5: do you make of this? Well, it's pretty remarkable. I mean, just let's take all of this in. The one person caught repeatedly urging people into the Capitol as early as January 5th is the one person of all of the January 6th riot participants that the New York Times just happens to write this ultra sympathetic puff piece for. Uh, it's it's quite remarkable, and to look at the piece itself, as you uh, suggested in in your um, in your intro, there's some real glaring. Omissions uh, from a journalistic standpoint to have access to this guy. Number one, in the entire piece, there is no blanket explicit denial on the on part of Epps to have been associated with any intelligence group, DHS, JTTF, military intelligence, so forth. Just reiterates his um, very legal denial of being involved with law, law enforcement. Number two, the piece describes Epps as a Trump supporter. He just went to went to D.C. to defend Trump and to attend the speech on a last minute uh, thing with his son to attend Trump's speech on election fraud. The only thing is Epps didn't attend the speech. Epps travels all the way from Arizona to D.C., this big Trump supporter, and he doesn't even attend the speech. Instead, he fixates on this bizarre mission to get everyone to go into the Capitol. And by the way, he just happens to be hanging out right by the initial breach point near the Peace Monument on the west side of the Capitol before the Proud Boys even get there. And thirdly, where did Ray Epps get this idea? This whole piece doesn't explore that question at all. Here is the one person calling for everyone to go in. Where did you get that idea, Ray Epps? Did it occur to you out of nowhere? Did someone tell you to do it? This piece, shockingly, does not explore that question at all, which is the paramount question that's really the animating, the alleged animating focus of January 6th committee. So this is so dirty. Ray Epps is... Behavior was so egregious that he was one of the first 20 on the FBI Most Wanted list. He was featured as a star in the New York Times' own documentary on January 6th. And now he's unarrested, unindicted, and he's the only January 6th writer about whom Adam Kinzinger has nice things to say and the New York Times' yep. is writing puff pieces about. He's the smoking and gun attack. of the entire Fed erection.
2: Well, uh, and, and they go crazy when you ask simple questions like, what was the role of federal law enforcement or the military in this day? And it's been our experience that when they won't answer a question and call you names for asking it, maybe there's something there. I appreciate you pulling this thread relentlessly. Darren Beatty, thank you. There you have it. You got it from Steve Baker. You got it from Tucker
1: Carlson. Ray Epps. And what does this say to all of us? It tells us our government is not giving us all the news. They're involved deeper in multiple conspiracy events. Seriously, folks, there's no other way to describe it. What's their end goal? We're talking about the federal government now. You tell me, what's the end goal of this government? To take and keep more and more power that they get from us, the American people. That's a wrap on the show today. Don't forget our Saturday bullet points. In one of the segments of Saturday bullet points tomorrow, we're going to pull Steve Baker's interview out and put it separate. You'll be able to get it there, listen to it, download it absolutely free. You guys have a great weekend. We'll see you Monday at TNN Live. TruthNewsNet.org.